0: Welcome. Welcome to the last week of summer school. After tonight, you guys have officially graduated. You can take the rest of the summer off. Not! There's still a lot more to be done, but you will have officially graduated from summer school. Hope that each of you guys have enjoyed it. You guys have had a good time. Um, I really pray that you guys actually picked up the idea of summer school because it wasn't just like some crazy thought that I had. and Like, hey, it'd be fun to make everyone do this. Um but that obviously, the idea of this entire time um, more than anything else um, is just that you realize as a Christian that you can take and you can read the Bible as your own and you can look at it and compare it to your own life, and you can actually learn stuff about yourself and about what God wants to do inside of your life um, you don 't always necessarily have to hear it from a preacher, but you can look at it and you can learn. Um, more than anything, I really hope that people through this time have developed more of a passion for reading God's Word. I hope that after this, maybe you guys who haven't really put a lot of time into reading God's Word, maybe this would be an encouragement to really actually start to read and make a point of it on a daily basis. Say, I am going to read God's Word because I know that there's stuff in there. Um, man, it is, it is God's heart penned on paper when you read the Bible, which is so amazing to be able to, to read that and understand it. Um, <clears throat> I want to read to you one last time. It's just kind of the ending of... Um, the ending of summer school and this whole point that I've been trying to make. I know I've read it to you guys in, in other messages in the past, but I just love um, what Eugene Peterson, the guy who, who rewrote the Bible and the message, what he says about the Bible. And I just want to read this part to you one more time. It says, reading is the first thing, just reading the Bible. As we read, we enter a new world of word worlds And find ourselves in a conversation in which God has the first and last words. We soon realize that we are included in this conversation. We didn't expect this, but this is precisely what generation after generation of Bible readers do find. The Bible is not only written about us, but to us. In these pages, we become insiders to a conversation in which God uses words to form and bless us, to teach and guide us, to forgive and save us. We aren't used to this. We're used to reading books that explain things or tell us what to do or inspire or entertain us, but this is different. This is a world of revelation, God revealing to people just like us, men and women created in God's image, how God works, and what is going on in this world in which we find ourselves. At the same time that God reveals all this, God draws us in by invitation and command to participate in God's working life. We gradually or suddenly realize that we are insiders in the most significant action of our time as God establishes his grand rule of love and justice on this earth as it is in heaven. Revelation means that we're reading something we couldn't have guessed or figured out on our own. Revelation is what makes the Bible unique. And so just reading the Bible, the message, and listening to what we read is the first thing. There'll be time enough for study later on, but first it is important simply to read Leisurely and thoughtfully, we need to get a feel for the way these stories and songs, these prayers and conversations, these sermons and visions invite us into this large, large world in which the invisible God is behind and involved in everything visible and illuminates what it means to live here, really live, not just get across the street. As we read and the longer we read, we begin to get it. We're in conversation with God. We find ourselves listening and answering in matters that most concern us, who we are, where we came from, where are we going? What makes us tick? The texture of this world and the communities we live in, and most of all, the incredible love of God among us, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Through reading the Bible, we see that there is far more to the world, more to us, more to what we see, and more to what we don't see, more to everything than we had ever dreamed, and, what this more, and, and that this more has to do with God. This is new for many of us, a different sort of book, a book that reads us even as we read it. We're used to picking up and reading books for what we can get out of them, information we can use, inspiration to energize us, instructions on how to do something or other, entertainment to while away a rainy day, wisdom that will guide us into better living. These things can and do take place in reading the Bible, but the Bible is given to us in the first place simply to invite us to make ourselves at home in the world of God. God's word, God's word and world and become familiar the way God speaks. And the ways in which he answer, we answer him with our lives. I love that. I hope you guys actually get a passion for just for um, just for taking part in this. So, this is the last week of summer school, and so far, I think summer school has been a really really interesting series, something different than what we've ever done before. I actually really love the interactivity of it. I like things that are um, kind of like multifaceted and multi-layered. Um, it really interests me. I love the fact that we actually took time to read. The Bible on our own, then actually fill out questions, take time to sit down in a small group, work through it, and then to actually hear a message out of the same thing. I love the fact that it's so layered. There's, there's actually something getting done in these areas. Um, I also like the fact that we go chapter to chapter, and there's not really much of a pattern. The messages can kind of just be different things that are projected in these things. I mean, obviously all of them have a God-centered pattern, but they can be kind of in different areas um, as we learn, which is really, really interesting. Um, If you guys remember correctly, week one was about how God is sufficient for all of our needs and then that he gives us gifts on top of all of his all-sufficiency. He takes care of everything and then he blesses us with gifts. Week two was a warning about false prophets and how we can protect ourselves from these false prophets if we really identify who they are. And this week particularly has to do with the future and what is to come past today and towards the end. The future is a really interesting topic, isn't it? If you actually start thinking about what the future is, it's something that fascinates a number of people and worries a lot more. Um, There's a quote by Charles F. Kettering, and it says, my interest is in the future because I'm going to spend the rest of my life there. I really like that. People have been trying to predict the future for as long as time existed. Some people have spent fortunes trying to foretell what the future will hold. If you could tell the future... Most often, the things that are realized is that people would either want to change it, they'd want to speed it up to get it here as soon as possible, or just at least be prepared for the future if you actually understood what was going to happen. If you could, real quick, would you want to see into the future? Raise your hand. If you could see 10 years into the future tonight, would you want to do it? Raise your hand if you say yes. Just a few. What if you could see 25 years into the future? And that's kind of exciting, isn't it? What if you could see 50 years into the future? Isn't that wild to think about? I have this book. It's called Future Facts. And this is going to solve all of our problems. Because it's all about what the future will hold, what's going to happen. There's only a problem, though. See, this book was written in 1976. And it was written of what the future will take place before the end of the century, before the year 2000. Well, we're in 2008. So this is eight years past what they predicted in this book is all going to come true. What's really interesting about this too is it's not like some crazy guy who sat down and thought, I'll just make up a bunch of cool stuff that might happen. This is all based on science. What he did is he's a really smart guy who took what were the, the brand new creations, what's coming out right now, what are people talking about in technology, and if this can happen. What will it look like? Really interesting. Written in 1976, about before the end of the, sem- the century. I want to show you a couple of these. Here's a good one for you. Video cassettes. Video cassettes fit in historical continuum that begin in ancient times with the introduction of writing. It says, similar to the format of an audio cassette, and in the size uh, relative to a book, a video cassette is a self-contained sealed tape package. Inserted into a playback machine, it can produce a video and audio program on any standard TV set. The unit is self-threading and can be started, stopped, rewound, or removed at any point. Yes. Running time can be from 10 to 60 minutes, and the program may be in color or black and white. Videotapes are long-lasting, readily produced, and inexpensively duplicated. Video cassette systems are likely to become economical and widespread in the fields of education, communication, and business. Very interesting. Video cassettes are old news, aren't they? Who even uses VCR anymore? So man, he was dead on with that. Those already came and gone by the year 2000. By the year 2000, we were starting DVDs, weren't we? Eight years ago, that's that's right about when the big DVD push was happening, you know, like everything was switching over. So it's dead on there. I got another one for you here. This one's pretty cool. The portable telephone. Yes! A handheld, completely portable telephone will make it possible to place calls while riding in a bus, walking down the street, or sitting in a restaurant. Developed by Motorola Incorporated, the first portaphone system will be installed in New York City by 1976. The portaphone looks uh, like a fat princess phone or a high fashion walkie talkie. Weighing less than three pounds, Yes, weighing less than three pounds, the unit can dial and receive calls anywhere within FM signal range of the system's computer-controlled receivers. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? It says here, Motorola sees a bright future for the portafone. We expect there'll be a heavy usage by a widely diverse group of people, businessmen, journalists, doctors, housewives, virtually anyone who needs or wants telephone communication in areas where conventional telephones are not available. This is his comment on this. He says, For a while at least, the portafone will remain a business tool or luxury item. In time, however, portafones will get smaller and cheaper, just as transistor radios have. One day you'll call almost anyone, anywhere. You could have instantaneous contact with your doctor or the police. People might be brought closer together than ever before, with the potential to be in voice contact with others. Interesting, isn't that? Weighing less than three pounds. go out soon. Man, he was dead on about that. Man, everyone has a cell phone. Is there anyone in this room right now who isn't carrying a cell phone? One, two? Isn't that amazing, though? I mean, everyone carries a cell phone anymore these days. You don't go anywhere without one. That's just amazing to think about. He, you know, he's dead on with this. But then we can go to something like this. Here's an interesting one. New York to Los Angeles in 21 minutes by a subway. Researchers at the RAND Corporation envision a tube craft system capable of carrying passengers between New York City and Los Angeles in only 21 minutes. The VHST, very high-speed transit vehicles, would shoot through airless (laughs) tunnels, shooting through airless tunnels deep underground at nearly 14,000 miles per hour. A tube craft would look like a streamlined subway car without wheels or a subterranean airplane without wings. According to Dr. Robert M. Salter, Rand's head of physical sciences, the vehicle would ride on and be driven by electromagnetic waves. Much as a surfboard rides on ocean's waves, superconducting cables would produce powerful opposing magnetic fields so that 100 passenger passenger craft would float in the middle of the tube. The air would be pumped from the tunnel to reduce friction. So it would actually be a vacuum it operates in. That's hardcore. Our proposed route would connect New York City with Los Angeles with a brief stopover in Chicago and Amarillo, Texas. Even with these stops, the total transcontinental time would be only 37 minutes. There would also be a network of connecting tunnels to Boston, Denver, San Francisco, and other major cities. Dr. Salter believes the coast-to-coast tunnel could pay for itself in about 30 years. He estimates that the central corridor of the system would cost about $90 billion to produce although the price could come down with such advances as tunnel building, um, tunnel building as nuclear or laser drills come about. Very interesting. He says this, Around the world in three hours by a subway, it may not be all that far-fetched. The technology for a tube craft system is in the offing. England may someday be linked to France by a tunnel. Magnetically levitated vehicles are being developed in Japan, Germany, and the United States. A special drill called the subterrain, which melts through rock, is being developed at Los Alamos. Put it all together, add $90 billion, jump on, and you're the commuter of the future. Interesting, isn't it? You see, some of these have already come to pass. We say, man, that was here and gone. And some of these you look at and you're like, doesn't it seem like it would take another 50 years before we could possibly have something that crazy? 21 minutes to go from New York to Los Angeles. Just to be there, 14,000 uh, miles per hour, it seems just impossible. But you see, there's this really interesting thought of what the future is going to hold. It's so exciting. Um, and when he wrote stuff like about that about the cellular phone, he didn't know that it was going to come about. He just based off what he knew, and he, he shot forward with that. I got one more interesting one for you. It's called Hidden Energy. It says they're invisible. At the size of a tennis ball, they're as heavy as our planet Earth. They may take up half of the universe, and someday they will beam power back to us from outer space. What are they? Black holes in the universe. Astrophysicists think that stars exist in many species, like the fauna of an animal kingdom, the flora of jungles of forests, um, or races of mankind. And they're also change, they also change and evolve from one stage to another. Um, These properties make it difficult, almost impossible to detect them by normal means, and so black holes are a controversy among specialists, though more and more indirect evidence seems to pile up for their existence. I was uncertain that uh, the discovery of a black hole was sufficiently well established, says astronomer Dr. Tom Bolton of the David Dunlop Observatory in Ontario. Recent events have removed my last doubts. So what they're thinking is that if they can take this, which has amazing amounts of, gra- of gravity, when these stars collapse, they pull enough matter together that they said a tennis ball would weigh as much as our entire Earth, that we could somehow use this technology to use it um, to make energy for ourselves. This is what he comments about it. He says, there's no such thing as a free lunch, and it would be an expensive feat of planetary engineering to pull this one off, but the payoffs might exceed the, the immense cost. Black holes may also tell us something about the future of the universe. Dr. John A. Wheeler of Princeton sees, sees no evidence from relativity that a star will eventually emerge, emerge from the black hole. Nor is there any indication that the matter will emerge somewhere else in space, but may it emerge somewhere in another universe. Perhaps a black hole, the collapse of a star, is an early warning of a black universe, the gravitational collapse of the entire universe, and the ultimate future. So he's talking about future things, and the words that he finishes there, I like that he talks about an ultimate future, maybe way past just making, you know, energy and stuff like that, but maybe that this is going to point us ahead to think about the fact that maybe someday everything will be destroyed and there will be nothing left by looking at these and realizing how much destructive force could be inside of these. Really interesting. Is there an ultimate future, an end, and what would it look like? Well, we could look at a book like this, which is interesting, but as you can see, as we looked at it, there's things that came true and there's things that fell short. Failures. Um, But we can look at a book that we've seen being proved true time and time again, and obviously we're going to talk about God's Word. All the different prophecies that have been put in this have come true. It has never been proven false yet to this day. So if we just take a look at what God's Word says about the future, about what is going to happen, um, even starting in just Peter where we're at, Verses 7 and 10 say this: And God has also commanded that the heavens and the earth will be consumed by fire on the day of judgment, when ungodly people will perish. Verse 10 says: But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and everything in them will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. He's talking about an ultimate future, isn't he? An end. A world that comes to an end. Um, he's talking about where Jesus is going to return and take his followers away, and the world will be put through this insane blaze of fire to burn away everything that isn't pure. Jesus promised that he's making a place for his followers to go. We see this in the Bible, and he's going to take all of his followers back up to heaven and pull them away from this from this world um, before this destruction happens. Um, he actually demonstrated resurrection in the Bible. And it says that all others will be judged by God and cast into hell while the earth and sky are are burnt by a cleansing fire. Now, I'm not going to speak all about how the end is going to come, all about how the end times are going to lay out and play out. That's really, really interesting. But That's not actually what I'm going to talk about tonight because that's not what Peter wrote his letter about. In fact, he actually says this, This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember and understand what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through the apostles. What Peter and I am both saying to you tonight is that I don't have to teach you these things right now. I'm going to talk about something that goes along with that. But what he's saying is that you need to read Jesus Christ's words. You need to read a prophecy given to John on the Isle of Patmos called Revelation. And you need to read these and look at them And get this amazing understanding of what will come. What Jesus said is going to happen and what is prophesied for the future. Those are things you need to take and read, pour over, and put deep down inside your head. So he says, I want to recall you to this. So maybe some of you guys have the knowledge of that you've read it before. Maybe some of you guys don't, but just listen tonight as you go through it. Maybe you really need to study those things to better understand them. If we have knowledge of these subjects, though, even just a little bit, Some of you guys might say, man, I don't know how it's all going to lay out. But if you feel even a small portion of knowledge of the end times, which I just kind of gave you an outline, that there will be a final end, a burning of this earth and a taking away of those who are righteous and a destruction of the earth as it is, being reformed into something new. If you have this knowledge, then you can now use it to your advantage because knowledge is really truly power. Um, Just as people would like to know the future so they could change it, or they could speed it up, or they could prepare for it, we can do the exact same thing if we actually know what the future is going to be. And we don't have to predict it, because we already have seen it. We can find the Bible. But then if we do know this future, what can we actually do with it? Well, Let's just look at those three things that most people would try to do with future. If they could get a hold of a, a future knowledge, the three things that I pointed out would maybe be things they would, they would focus on. First and foremost, most people, they could find out about the future, they would try to change it. A lot of times, we don't like the future. We look in it and say, man, I'm fat. (laughs) Man, I shouldn't have married that person. Man, why did I buy that car? It's so ugly. Or, you know, man, what was I thinking getting that tattoo? If you could look 10 years in the future, you might come back and think, I'm going to change some of that future. Maybe I won't let it all turn out that exact same way. So, is there anything that we can do to actually change the situation, though? If we do know what's going to happen in this and it's going to take place, is there something that we can do to change it? We don't really have control of of when it happens, do we? Jesus Christ talks about the fact that no one knows when it's going to happen. He even says the fact that he doesn't know when it's going to happen. Only God knows. Jesus is even waiting. He doesn't know when it's going to take place. And I really highly doubt that you're going to be able to change God's plan. It really seems like he has it pretty much down in black and white, doesn't he, of how he's going to lay it out. I don't think you're going to be able to call up God and tell him, I think you should probably do it this way, and he's going to take your advice and say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe I can, I can shift some of that around. But what can we change? Well, Peter says in verses 3 through 4 in this third chapter, he says, first I want you to remind you that in the last days there will be these scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do everything evil they desire. This will be their argument. Jesus promised to come back, did he? Then where is he? Why, as far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first created. I've heard some of this. I was talking in our, in our small group. Um, you, know, you can take different thoughts on this. This isn't just people who say, um, you know, Jesus said he's going to come back. Why isn't he here yet? This is people also, they say, you know, if Jesus said he's going to come back and he's not here it must mean that Jesus isn't true. You know, it's just scoffing at God is what Peter's basically saying here, saying that God doesn't really exist, that this isn't true. Um, The fact that they say, why as far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same, that's like the standard evolutionist speech right there, just kind of put in different words, saying it's always been the same. You know, God didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, It talks about these scoffers doing everything that they want to desire, all the evil, laughing at truth. There are people have lost hope in God. They have no hope in what God's going to bring in their life. They have no belief that anything better is ever going to come. And this is all that they can think of. Um, Other people have, have even experienced God and turned their backs on it, and now scoff at it and say that they don't really believe it's true. What we can change is we can change those skeptics and scoffers into believers. That's the one thing that we can actually focus on and say, if we can see the future, we can actually change something and make a difference is that there's those people who are just basically making fun of it and we can have a part to actually change that if you imagine this at the end of all time this this whole throwdown is going to happen right and there's going to be two huge lines one going up the escalator just like in the old cartoons and one going down the escalator to hell okay these two massive lines and if we have the ability to take somebody from that other line and pull them into our line, wouldn't you want to do it? Wouldn't you take the time to do it? Um, there's this awesome line. Any of you guys ever seen the movie Gladiator? I hope you guys have. It's a great movie. I know it's rated R, but it's an amazing movie. Amazing. There's this part in it. And the main character, Russell Crowe, Maximus Decimus Meridius is his name, Hardcore guy. This is part where he starts the beginning of it, and he goes and he's he's the general of all these troops, and he takes and lines up all these troops. But he also has basically like a uh, a cavalry on horseback that's going to come and cut through and cut off the people. And he goes and he's talking to them and encouraging them before he starts, and he talks about the fact that you know like if you find yourself riding alone and in, in nice bright pastures, you're already dead. You know he's like la- laughing with them. But he says this line that's amazing, and I'll say it in my best, my best Russell Crowe voice. My best Russell Crowe voice. He takes and he stands, and they're all waiting, and he says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Thank you. Thank you. But if you actually stop and you think about that, past me saying that in a stupid voice, what we do in life echoes in eternity. That's an amazingly deep phrase, isn't it, to think about? Do you ever think about the fact that your daily life, the fact that you can connect with someone and talk with them, can change something for eternity? That's huge. Maybe sometimes we think about the fact that we could, we could communicate the gospel and someone can get what we found and it can change the rest of their life. But do you think about the fact that you can change eternity? By what you do today, by what you do tomorrow. That's just insane, isn't it? The answer that you see, and the answer that you that you have to this hard question posed by these scoffers, these ones we just talked about, who make fun of, of God and he's not here, and you know, this this living God, he's never come back. Peter gives to us, which I love. In verse 9, he says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he's giving more time for everyone to repent. When people ask you, when you tell this story to someone and you start explaining to them, they say, well, if he's supposed to come back, why didn't he come back? You stop and you say, you, you're the reason why he hasn't come back yet. You're the reason why Jesus Christ has not got to come back yet. is because you still don't believe it. You are the reason. That's the whole entire point. When someone asks you that question, just take them, point right at their face. Just point at them. Don't even say the words. They're like, why hasn't Jesus come back? <laughs> and just point and stare at them. You're the reason. You're the reason why Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet, because he's waiting for you guys to actually get a hold of it, because he wants everyone to understand it, because he's such a loving God. Ezekiel thirty-three eleven says this, As sure as I am a living God, I take no pleasure from the death of the wicked. I want the wicked to change their evil ways and live. Turn your life around, reverse your evil ways. This is God talking about Israel. Man, talk about a loving God. He says, I get no pleasure from these people who are wicked when I have to punish them and when they have to be destroyed. No no joy whatsoever in that. If we also know the future, we could speed it up. Man, if you knew about this, about... You got to see 10 years in the future, and there's going to be this awesome invention. And you find out, like, the biggest problem was that we didn't know that we should have looked for this material in southwestern Costa Rica. Then you come back to this world, and you're like, man, now if I just told people, because I have this knowledge, I could tell people, you know what we should do? We should go look for that in southwestern Costa Rica. This thing could be done in like two years. It wouldn't take another ten years. I could bring it, speed it up, get it done. You ever think about that? You could change the future. You could bring what's supposed to happen way down the line, now closer, and maybe stuff would even be even farther along in another ten years. Crazy what you could get done. So why is it taking so long? Why is it taking so long for God to get here? Well, we kind of just answered that. Um, Peter says in verse 12, You should look forward to the day and hurry it along, the day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away into the flames. I love that. I love that verse. Isn't it just so great? You should look forward to the day and hurry it along, the day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. It sounds so crazy, doesn't it? It sounds just insane. Well, how can we speed up the day of his coming if we are excited about it? Well, the one we just identified, we just talked about, is obviously God is is waiting for more people to understand him, for more people to start a relationship with him. He's holding himself back because he knows there's more people who can get it. So obviously if he's waiting for that, we can speed up his return by going and actually telling people about Jesus Christ. If all of us Christians probably got off our butts and actually started working every single day to tell people about Jesus Christ, I would guess that the, the date of the Lord coming back would be significantly brought forward because he wouldn't have to wait so long for everyone to understand. The problem is, is we're not doing it. We're not taking and living a life of movement, of getting out and telling people about Jesus on a regular basis, of sacrificing our lives. Because let me tell you, anytime you're in a group of Christians like this, there are people who are sitting here who are denying the calling God has for them. Probably even within this, this group, and not to, not to judge anyone, but there are probably people inside this group who have callings that they will never fulfill. Maybe it's some crazy one, like going on, around the other side of the world to talk to people about, about Jesus Christ. But we get caught up in other stuff, and we don't do it. So God's waiting because we aren't fulfilling. We aren't working fast enough to get people to understand before he can come back. God is extremely patient. Verse 8 says this, A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. That's hard to, exi- hard to understand, isn't it? You guys probably all talked about it in your, in your small groups. And, and trying to put that inside your brain is kind of insane because as a human, I have existed in time my entire life. And the second I was conceived until the second I die, there's this ever-burning fuse of my life passing away. And I can't think of a world outside of time because it just took me a, ti- it just took me a second to think of that. You know what I mean? Like, anytime time you try to think... Outside of time, you can't because you're using time. and it, You can't understand it. It's like, almost like uh, Cassie just said tonight. It's better than the, the description I had. Um, it's like looking at a, at a at a comic book and looking at those people, right? And it's like God being us. Like, you see, like, there's so much outside of that. They couldn't understand how what we do. They couldn't understand our movement. If we tried to tell them about how we can take and we can move back and forth, we can breathe, we can jump, we can dance, they're just inside of a comic book and they're so bound by this rigors they couldn't possibly understand it. If we want him to come back sooner, we're going to have to move. Also, we need to actually be excited for his return and pray for him to come back. Revelation 22.20 says this. Jesus is talking and he says, I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. And John's reply to it is, Yes, come, Master Jesus. It's his reply to him. We have to be excited for Christ's return. And when we hear about God coming, we hear about Jesus Christ coming back, we need to say, yes, man, come home. Bring me back and and come and and take care of this world. Are you actually excited about his return? When you really think about it deep down in your heart, does it seem a little scary? A little frightening? Often, this is because our reality has been based on earth for so long, we can't possibly even comprehend this idea. It kind of hurts inside of our brains. It, it's hard to, to look at because our whole world, our whole world, has been wrapped up in this world. And it's weird to think about there being a destruction and us being taken away from it. Um, at first, I really wasn't excited. I really wasn't excited about Christ's return. People talk about Jesus Christ coming back and I was first saved, I really I really wasn't excited about it at all. When I heard about it, I thought, yeah, but I want to get married and have kids and buy a really nice car and hang out with friends, you know? I mean, that was my first thought. I thought, I'm not excited about that. I, God, you know, take your time, because I want to have some fun here while i got time. But after a while, I think what happens is the more time you spend with God, the more time you spend in your salvation. And this isn't at all, you know, casting, like, downward eye on people who are just newly saved or they still have that thought. There's nothing like that. But after a while, it just seems like God consistently working on your heart, he just kind of breaks those things down. And he kind of cuts them away from your life. And after a while, you start thinking, you know what, God? Those things sound great, but, man, if you come tomorrow, I'll be happy. It's cool. You can come right now, you know? It's awesome because I know that that's going to be so much more amazing than anything I have built up for my life. Then all that different stuff that I said I want to do, man. If it's your time, just come right now. Go ahead and take me home because I'm ready to be with you. It kind of slowly happens, um, and that's that's no you know bad thing. Wherever you're at in that journey, um, you know, but to have that joy of seeing him come back, you know, it, it really has come to me, and I hope it's come to you guys too. Thinking that's exciting to think about about. Jesus Christ coming and taking us away and and finishing off the evil in this world. Um, The one thing that often makes us uneasy after we get that, though, is still going back to why Jesus Christ is waiting, is that a lot of us have unsaved friends, family. And then we start thinking back again, we're like, alright, maybe Jesus, you should take a little while longer, because I still haven't really got my dad to understand it. I still really haven't got my aunt to understand it. My brother still doesn't understand it and you start kind of going back in that same direction and saying, "You know what? I'd be happy for you to come tomorrow, but maybe you should give me some extra time cuz I really need to try to explain this to these people before you come back." The last thing you could do if you understood the future would be to be prepared for it. If you knew something was going to happen, you could take and set up steps in line. There's a uh, a scene you guys ever seen Back to the Future? the whole series, good, good movies, really interesting. Um, Marty McFly writes a note to Doc because in the future, he sees him get murdered. And the whole entire time, he says, I can't possibly read this. It's going to destroy the entire space-time continuum. And he tears it up. And at the end of the movie, he kicks and he comes back and he sees Doc get gunned down again, shot in the chest. And he runs over to him. And Doc comes to and he pulls open his coat and he's got a bulletproof vest on. And he says, if I figured what the heck. If you knew about the future, you could change it. You could be prepared for it, like putting on that bulletproof vest that day because he knew that he was going to get shot. If you understood, you could be ready for it. I believe, and this is no offense to um, like what we just talked about, but I believe the most common reason why people are not excited about Christ's return is that they're not prepared yet, is that they're not ready. Um I think the thing is, is that a lot of people are scared of it because when they look at their own lives, they're like, I'm not 100% sure yet. I'm not sure what's going to happen with me. I don't know if I really, if I really got it yet. I think that's the most common reason why people are scared of it is they think, I don't know if I really am prepared, if I have everything taken care of. If you don't, yeah, of course, the end of the world seems terribly scary. Peter says this in verse 14 of chapter 3. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live a pure and blameless life and be at peace with God. You see what Peter's saying is while you're waiting for all this, you've got to live a life that is honoring to God. You have to get in right step with it. And being at peace with God, I love the fact that they use that. It says, be at peace with God. That's such an interesting statement. Do you get everything that's wrapped up inside of that? If you think about it, it says in Luke eleven twenty three, 23, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus' words. In the message it says this, This is war, and there is no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you're the enemy. If you're not helping, you're making things worse. That's Jesus Christ's words. What he's saying is to be at peace with God, you got to be on his side. Otherwise, you're at war. What he's saying is, in the time of this waiting, you better get it right, and you better, you better get on God's side. Because if you're not, you're setting yourself up to be on the side of his war. Now, obviously, you know, you guys have maybe heard it before, or maybe you haven't. The, the idea of salvation, because that's all we're talking about, being on his side, is the story of salvation. The fact that, obviously, all of us, all of us commit sin and fall short of what God has for us. But then we're not bound by that anymore. See, sin equals death. That's, the wages of sin is death. If we sin, when we get to the end of our lives, what we earn for that sin is death. Hell, eternal death. But then God, in his amazing knowledge and love, finds this loophole ascending sending Christ to come to this earth and die on the cross. He had not sinned, and he dies. The reason why he could die is because he took all of our sin, and he carried it to that cross. He paid for every single part of it. It says in the Bible that he took all of our sin upon his shoulders and he bore it to the cross. So what happens is when we die, that sin has already been paid for. It's already done. It's paid in full. When we die instead, we get to go to heaven because all that's already been taken care of and we're found blameless in God's eyes. All it says we have to do is ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord and follow him and his ways. We must live a life that is pure and blameless because we do not w- know when this day will come. Peter says it, and Jesus said it back in Luke 12:40. He says, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. What it's saying is that you can't put off. You can't say, I'll get my life right, I'll start following Jesus and start doing what he wants for my life in another five years. Just let me finish up college, Maybe. Just let me finish up this area of my life. Or maybe I'll wait another 10 years because I want to get married and get stuff ready. And then I'll start, I'll start coming to church on a regular basis and I'll start really really trying to do what you want, God. Or, you know, maybe I'll just wait because what the heck? You know, I could just wait till I'm on my deathbed and I could ask God to, you know, take care of my sins and he's still a forgiving God and he'll probably take care of it then too, right? The saying is no, is you can't live like that because you do not know when the day is going to come. You have to live like the day might be the day he comes back. That means waking up and actually saying, God, I'm going to try to do as much as I can for you today. I'm going to live a life that's pure today, a life that's trying to focus on what you have for me. Today might be your last day. Who knows? That's how you have to live. Are you prepared for the end? Are you prepared for Christ's return if it was to happen today? Now, we don't have to try to predict the future. That's already been done for us, like I said. Go ahead and read the Bible. Look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at Revelation. Look at what God says is going to happen. It's already been predicted. It's already been done for us. But it's up to us to use the knowledge of the future to benefit ourselves and to benefit the rest of the world. Are you still caught up in today? day? Are you still focused on only what's going to happen today, what's going to happen tomorrow? Or are you starting to feel the fact there's something way bigger farther off and you're going to have to start living with an eye on the future? I want us to steal Kettering's uh, quote. I want you to steal it, and I want you to start calling it your own, because that's what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to tell people, I could tell them it's from Kettering, but it's going to be my new quote as well. I love it, and we need to take it on our own hearts, where he says, my interest is in the future, because I'm going to spend the rest of my life there. That's how we need to live. I want to pray with you guys. Lord, I thank you for tonight, and I thank you, God, that you have spelled out this future that is to come in our lives. A future and an end to this world that you have already promised. Lord, that you provided that information to us in your word, and that now we can use that. We can use that to really be prepared, Lord God, to speed it up and to even change, Lord, some of the circumstances. I really pray, God, that we would just get an eye on the future and that we would realize that it's so important because that's where we will spend the rest of our lives. I thank you, God, for salvation and the fact that I do not have uh, to go to hell, Lord God, and pay for my own sins, but the fact that you paid for them. I just thank you for that, Lord God. And anyone who's in, this, who's in this room, if you guys do not have a relationship with Christ, come up and see me after service. Come and talk to me about it if you're not at that place. If you really say, I don't know what would happen if I was to die. Jesus, I thank you for what you're going to do tonight. I thank you for the knowledge in your word that we have realized just in these three weeks of summer school. I thank you for what you're going to continue to do. It's in your name that I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. I got one last thing for you guys. Um, next week, cookout. I totally didn't even say it. Bring friends. Yeah, don't just come and hang out on our own. We can do that, but it's also like a really sweet night. We're going to take them, we're going to cook out, and then we're going to go see fireworks. Bring friends that have never come to Steadfast before. Bring friends who don't know anything about God, don't know anything about Jesus Christ. They might be a lot more open if you say, I'm just going to hang out with some of my friends. We're having a cookout. And then we're going to go see the fireworks. Maybe people who wouldn't come to Steadfast if you invited them. Invite them next week and get them here. If, if you bring a friend, you don't have to pay $5 for the friend. They're for free. Okay? So you don't have to worry about that thing. Don't tell them it costs them anything. Tell them it's free for them to come and eat. Free for them to come and eat. Um, and if you feel bad, you could give a few extra dollars if you'd like. But um, that's the deal with that. Make sure, yeah, bring friends. Hey, I want to pass around the uh, offering container. If you guys have um, a few dollars you want to toss in there, feel free um, to help support the ministry and keep it going. Um, One last thing. We have a couple of birthday boys from this last weekend in our midst. We uh, We have Ryan Simpson and we have Mr. Joe over here. Why don't you guys come up here? Come up. Our birthday boys. It's so cute. But you won't be here next week? Oh, yeah. All right, come up here, birthday girl. Hers is next Sunday. You just turned 21. She just turned 21. You turned 20, right? She's the youngin'. He's the baby. And he's got a way fuller beard than I'll ever have. <laughs> Indeed. So we love you guys. So I just wanted to embarrass you guys. So happy birthday to you. Birthday dear Joe Ryan and Nicole. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. <clears throat> <Yay! clears throat> Congratulations guys. Yeah. All right. Hey, I'll see you next week. You, bring guys. friends. Have a good time. Bring bring 5 dollars next week for food and uh, prepare for a great time. Launchers. What? Yeah, let's sign up so we know how many people are here. We'll get a piece of paper and you got to put your name on it if you're coming. And put plus one if you're going to bring a friend. Yeah. Yeah.